Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the show here today, whether you're doing it on cnjradio.com or you're subscribed on iTunes, never missing one single episode, and hopefully leaving a comment, because that definitely helps me out. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. You're friends of mine. And speaking of which, I, I believe I do have a new friend here, and that's just so cool for me to say that actually I've gone on record with this multiple times but when I first started listening to podcasts back in around late 06 early 07 uh, one of the first shows I ever downloaded was a show called Talking Metal it was like it was one of those things you type in a buzzword like hard rock or metal and that was one of the first things that came up I think number one ranked and still to this day for sure and I listened to the show I really liked it and I never stopped listening and it's just one of those shows that I always go to and I stay current because not only have they talked with the bigs, the Hall of Famers like your Aussies and your Rob Halfords and your Ace Freelys, but also really cool people that you should know about like 24-7 Spies and Casey Chaos. So it's a nice mixture of all things hard rock and heavy metal. And lo and behold, just uh, you know, over the last few months, I got a message from Mark Striegel, co-host of Talking Metal and many other things. Uh, he also does Talking Rock, which I know he just brought back recently. And uh, I, I was a big fan of the old Mark Striegel show, which uh, you can't actually even get anymore online. So, uh, but I really liked that show. But 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 I'm getting ahead of myself. I got, I guess uh, I got a message from Mark saying that he started listening to Rock Strikes Ten and. <laughs> Boy, that really made my day. I mean, it made my month. Because, you know, you know, I do these shows, and I'm sure a lot of people that have podcasts run into this, because we, we do it because we love it, obviously. We're not in it for the money. We're in it for the love and the music, if you're a music show. But, you know, you have those moments where you're like, I don't really know if anybody's listening or not. You know, obviously there's a handful of people listening, but, you know, it doesn't seem to be a lot. But when you hear stuff like that, it just makes up for it. So, I, I, of course, have probably thanked him many times already for sure ad nauseum. But the fact that he went out of his way to listen to the show, and I didn't even bug him to listen to it. So that was really what made it extra cool. And he started saying, he's subscribing to the show now, and, you know, sends me feedback. So, you know. It's just nice to know that somebody I've been listening to for years is a nice guy on and off the air. So, yeah, you know, I said, anytime you want to come on the show, of course you have an open invite. And he responded back in kind. And the result is this, our first ever conversation, which, you know, he knew the drill. Uh, come on the show, have a Desert Island list, and uh, let's go. Obviously, if you're a friend of the show, you heard me recently interview Michael Butler, who was... I said the guy that got me into rock and roll podcasting and after Butler it's Mark Striegel they're my two biggest influences and the fact that I've now had him on the show that's all I need to keep going so let's get to the conversation hope you enjoy so Mark Striegel welcome to Rock Strikes 10 it's uh and I I mean this it's definitely an honor to have you on the show Joey thank you so much for having me I appreciate it and thanks for uh you know turning me on to your show uh, as a listener as you know you're a listener of talking metal and uh, through that i discovered your show and it's great man i really enjoy it 
you get you do like uh, I like the fact that it's not just like a metal podcast or or even a rock podcast for that matter. I've heard you like all over the place with uh, different types of music on your podcast, and it's refreshing. Well, thank you very much. That's high praise coming from you. So thank you very much. So um, as you may know, as a listener, which that's still that still amazes me, but <laughs> whenever I do have people on the show to come on for an interview, if they're not my direct, you know, friends that I have here at the studio, right? Uh, and and you've played in bands too. I think that's awesome. That definitely adds to your repertoire as a rock and roll broadcaster at this point, um, which uh, it holds more water for me than you know someone like an Eddie Trunk who's never played in a band before. So, <laughs> right, right, right. But anyway, uh, when I have people on the show, you know, I. I I'm always he does curious. play drums, by the way. Eddie Trunk, I'm told, does play drums. Really? And he plays them okay. Apparently, yeah, there was a show in Jersey, which I actually missed, the Bonzo Bash or something. I think it's Brian Tishy's show. Yeah. And apparently Eddie Trunk got up there and got behind the kit with like Mike Portnoy or something. So I found that uh, interesting. So uh, maybe he is a musician. I, I really don't know his history. Oh, wow. How about we promote a drum duel between him and John? So. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> right in Times Square. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. John's interesting because although he is, he considers himself first and foremost a drummer, he may actually be better at guitar than he, than he is at drums. I'm not sure. Uh, he's good at both of them. Not a virtuoso at both of them, but he's good at both of them. And that makes me jealous because I'm strictly rhythm guitar and any of my guitar expertise. So. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, um, so I, in, you know, when I when I set up these interviews, I asked to not reveal the list from the other end. So, okay, as, I was as, wondering about that because I almost sent it to you. Oh um, no! But, thank you yeah. for not doing that because okay, I I basically like as long as I've been reading about music or listening to music, I'm of course as most people super curious as to what the people that I'm into are into. So. I'm very curious, especially I am a person who's actually listened to every single episode of the Mark Striegel show, which I would love to have it back at some point, putting you on the spot, but I really enjoy the variety of artists you played on there. You actually got me to listen to a few things I never had given a chance before. So, fire away. Uh, are these in any particular order, by the way? or? Uh... Well, n- not really. And, it, you know, it, it's tough because uh, as 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 you are, I'm just a lover of all different types of music and it's, it's so hard to just narrow stuff down to 10. Uh, so having said that these are, these are 10 records that I really like a lot. Are they the greatest top 10 albums of all time for me personally? Uh, Maybe, maybe not. You know, I, I, I purposely have left out a lot of bands just because I'm kind of tired of talking about these bands and, and they would all these bands would dominate the the list. And I kind of wanted to go a little deeper off uh, off my beaten path for this list. So there's no tool on this list. One of my favorite bands. There's no Iron Maiden on this list, possibly my favorite band. There's no Dio. There's no Ozzy. There's no Sabbath. There's no Metallica, there's no Judas Priest, there's no Kiss, there's no Led Zeppelin, there's no Deep Purple, there's no Queens of the Stone Age, there's no Radiohead, there is no Guns N' Roses or Van Halen. Wow. Because <laughs> yeah. so, 
you know, albums by those guys, like, I, I, it's just kind of boring to have Appetite for the just Appetite for Destruction on my top 10 list. Although it, pro- it probably is definitely on my top 10 list. It's like, it's just so played out. Yeah. And, and it's like, I don't want to talk about Appetite for Destruction. And what are you going to have Van Halen eat up like six slots, Sabbath eat up seven or eight slots, you know, like, yeah. do, you know, so yeah. we, we know I mean, these bands are like, great. <laughs> yeah. It, and it's like, Honestly, a lot of my favorite records are just like, you know, Dark Side of the Moon, Led Zeppelin 4. It's like it, kind of mainstream shit, you know, and it's yeah. just like I, 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 however, my listening ear goes way, way off the mainstream. Yeah. So I wanted to at least touch on, on some of these other records, although I'm looking over the list right now and it's it's fairly mainstream. But even, uh, if, even if it's list friendly stuff, um coming from you i'd be very intrigued to you know find out what you dig beyond some of the stuff that you just mentioned so that's why i wanted yeah, that's yeah, why def- i wanted you to come on here I, I felt like you know maybe you would have a lot of fun with this so oh yeah yeah totally and it's hard for me because i it's it's just hard for me to just you know pull it out of my ass i, I like to you know really think about it which i which i did you know i could have spent days thinking about a, a, a top 10 list but i spent probably uh, an hour so i'll present you with that list uh, momentarily but thanks for episode 91 of the rock strikes 10 podcast i i love that you started off with jellyfish by the way oh nice thank you yeah i i did see that tour the Ooh. the spilt Mil- milk tour oh, at the academy in in new york city and remembered it being really a good show but also remembering that they didn't quite sound as full and and rich as they they did on record okay so you saw it with dover on vocals yeah i guess because i heard you say that and i you know i'm not like a crazy diehard guy like where i know all the members uh, backward and forward i i do i do love that second record by them yeah uh spilt milk uh, a lot and i do remember that the drummer who's the drummer <laughs> yeah sorry yeah. don't mean to put you on the spot but he's no, kind of like the obviously leader, i'm outing right? myself as not being the biggest fanboy but you know i have the records and i love the records that's pretty much where i'm at so well the, the drummer, drummer was the singer yeah right and and i do remember that that his kit was set up towards the front of the stage and he was singing so was dover singing alongside of him on the tour i see i don't know uh, i I, right. I couldn't find a lot of info on them when i did the show so yeah it's it kind of makes them still kind of a cool mystery, but you know. Yeah. Well, I seem to think that the drummer was doing a lot of the singing when I saw them, although there may have been another guy sharing some of the lead with him. I don't. I don't know. It was so long ago; it's hard for me to remember. Yeah. But was that the Academy of Music, the the famous place that Kiss played at in their early years? I uh, I don't think so. Okay. I don't. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. That that I think was something different. Okay. Just curious. Uh, it was the Academy. It was like right in the middle of Times Square. It was like on Forty First Street. And saw like a handful of shows there throughout the years. It, it closed like at least a decade, if not, well, probably more than that. Fifteen years ago, it closed down. Yeah, but um, great band, and uh, definitely love that second record. And I believe that song, "Joining a Fan Club," is partially based on the experience of joining the Kiss Army. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, and of course, we're, we're both in that. So, yeah. <laughs> But anyways, to the list, let's start off. Uh, speaking of uh, bands from the 70s like Kiss, let's start off with a, an amazing record that I actually came to 
through being such a big Bowie fan. And that's another artist which I, I've left off. I'm not going to do any Bowie on, on my top 10 list here for you today because he would, again, probably dominate the top 10 records uh, for me. But let's start off with Lust for Life, which is almost a Bowie record, nice. but it's uh, Iggy Pop. Oh, yeah. And just such a big fan of that record. I like The Idiot a lot, too. Right. And, and two just great great records which as far as i know were done in berlin which you got to remember back in the 70s germany was split into you know east and west and and it sounds like berlin was just like a a wild place back in those days yeah Uh, and i'm sure you've heard the story about iggy and bowie moving out there to kick heroin which berlin at that time was the heroin capital of the world so right they weren't doing themselves any favors but musically it seemed like they did (laughs) Yeah, and the the record, you know, produced by Bowie, and and I guess when they went on tour, he even played keyboards yeah. on the tour. Yeah, which there's some amazing old footage uh, of Bowie and Iggy on the Dinah Shore show. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, which we, which I worked on a Bowie documentary back uh, in the '90s, and and I had the whole like three hour Dinah Shore show, and it was just insane, like them sitting around watching. Uh, uh, or I'm sorry, talking with with Dinah Shore about stuff. Was that and, that uh, VH1 Legends? Because I know you. Yeah, were... yeah, yeah. I was one of the producers on that. And that is one of my favorite series ever. Still, I know that a few of those were like uh, documentary, like uh, edit downs. I've seen a few of those that were released independently, but the ones that were produced in house are equally as impressive. I loved that series. So. Cool. Well, thanks. I I did the uh, the Bowie one. I did the U two one, which came out right when when Pop hit, uh, and Marvin Gaye. I worked on uh, somewhat, and there was, I guess that's it. I feel like maybe there was another one, but oh, Elton John with Cheryl Crow. She worked. She did the voiceover for that, and I helped out a little bit on the Zeppelin one but uh, didn't really get, I think I got a special thanks on that one. It's not a producer credit, but yeah, it was a great, it was a great, um, great series. And the executive producer, the guy who kind of oversaw it was this guy, Bill Flanagan, who was a kind of older rock guy. I mean, he's, he was probably a year younger than I am currently back in those days, but uh, he, he did a great job and always brought in the talent. I mean, we had Bowie directly involved in, in the Bowie legends, which was, was good and bad. Cause he, you know, had obviously strong opinions on things, but I will yeah. say that he, he spoke fondly and, and seemed very proud of the two records that he did with, with uh, Iggy lust for life and the idiot. And I guess he was also partially involved in raw power, right? He was the initial like producer and or mixer because yeah totally that was always one of the beefs with Rob Power of course infamously was the mix wasn't great <laughs> so yeah yeah do you have the CD of that absolutely I do I've got yeah. most Iggy things Iggy's one of my main concert gets that I haven't seen yet have you seen Iggy live uh, I have not no I've never seen him live wow and you live in the New York City New Jersey area so that's a uh, yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm embarrassed to say that, but I I have never seen him live. That's all right. There's you've seen way more people than I have. Trust me. So. Uh, yeah, but, you know, it's like I the there's just yet there's still so many I I didn't see uh and I guess there's still time for some people. Yeah, like, like Iggy, probably not that much time, but yeah, Maybe he stays sometimes. in good shape, so you'll probably get your chance. So hopefully, we, we both will. But um, 
What do you have from the uh, Lust for Life album for us, Mark? Every song on this record is great. And I mean, there's obviously the title track, which everybody knows. And there's the the Passenger, which most most people know. But you can dig a little deeper than that and find so many other gems, if you will. This this song's called Tonight. And part of the coolest part of this song is you just hear Bowie singing alongside of Iggy doing the high part in the chorus. And it's a wonderful song. So let's uh, let's check it out. All right. Here you go.
that song tonight, Mark, uh, also probably to most people, I would say most people, uh, mostly known as a David Bowie performed song because he wound up, it's, it's basically a cover of a song he wrote, which he put on his Tonight record in 1985, and uh, Iggy actually sang on that version as well. So, yeah, and there's another song like that too, which was uh, China Girl yeah. off the the Idiot. Yeah, and Iggy credits those two records of Bowie's in the '80s for saving his life because he was able to actually get off the road, and that way he was just collecting royalties. He was able to actually get himself together, you know. So right, right, very interesting. Uh, great choice there. Iggy is the man. I've said it many times on my show. So. Uh, let's move on. We're doing good. Uh, what do you got for us next, Mark? A band that you know I, I really got into you know within the last I guess ten years, nine years, Muse, and they had a record called Absolution, which was their I believe third record, which just blew me away. I, I had been into the I guess I got into them on their their second record, but it was the third record absolution that just really put me over the top with them and so so impressive when anybody can release a record that holds my attention from start to finish um and this is an album that definitely did that and an extremely talented bunch of guys oh, yeah. uh, especially the the lead kind of leader singer guy matthew uh matthew bellamy right yeah yeah and so piano player, lead guitar player, I mean, just ridiculous talent. And yeah. It's nice whenever a band can come around that we don't have to dig for. Because that's the thing about rock and roll over the last 10, 15 years is that you have to dig for great bands. And with that kind of heartbreaking assumption that they're probably not going to get big. But Muse right. is an exception of modern times. And it, I hope you don't mind me inserting some of my experiences when oh, we talk of about course. your records. Oh, um, the, the first time I heard them at all was on Sirius, and Scott Ian was doing a guest DJ spot. And mm. every song he played, I was just totally on board with. But it was that nice, like, here's a deep Lizzie track that I love. You know, here's a, even a deep ACDC track. And, you know, stuff that you would expect Scott Ian to play. Right. And, you know, he even played Refuse, which I was like, okay, you're a friend of mine. And, and then he goes into and says, there's this band that Charlie got me into. And he said, you know... Radiohead has lost you like it's lost me after like you know Kid A Amnesiac, like after right. after that era, he goes. Then you need to jump on board with this band. And to me, no truer words were said. It was just like, hey, when they stop making riffs, you know, because obviously the vocal stylings are very similar. And you know, I used to sell them to people, and it's kind of limiting, I, I realize, but as a more hard rock version of Radiohead. Totally, totally, and I, I hear you know in Muse too. Just in the sing, the way that 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 Matthew Bellamy delivers his his lines, a lot of Jeff Buckley. That's a really good point, actually. I remember you played Jeff Buckley on on your uh, Mark Striegel show a while back. Right. Yeah. What song was that? Vancouver. I that yeah, I believe so. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard a lot of Jeff Buckley over the years because I've worked in record stores before. So, <laughs> but that's yeah. Not- well, there's. I mean, everybody knows the Grace record. But yeah. There's there's definitely a handful of songs uh you know post grace uh, what was that my sweetheart the drunk record i think it was called uh, there's uh maybe four or five really great songs on that double cd the rest of it kind of just seemed like stuff they had 
laying around that they put out or his mother put out or whatever. Yeah. But uh, isn't he technically a one and done too? Like as far as I mean, yeah, I, I would think so. I would yeah. think so. I mean, because that that my sweetheart, the drunk record was definitely i mean half the stuff on there sounds like you know four track garbage and then there's like some really just amazing songs like that song vancouver yeah um anyway but yeah (laughs) we were talking about muse i'm sorry to get you off on that tangent oh no problem (laughs) but uh so what record do you have by muse mark well as far you know i like hmm, it's so tough i guess we should go Sorry. Go ahead. Go uh, they're, they're turning into that band where you're going to have multiple entries. I mean, maybe except for that last one, but yeah. Yeah. Let's go with Thoughts of a Dying Atheist. So yeah, and and one other thing about Muse, uh, 
great track, great pick by the way. I like that you're you know you're you're definitely in the Rock Strikes Ten, you know frame of thought, not going for obvious singles and everything. Because you know why bother, especially on a podcast. But uh, uh, the first time I heard most of these songs, I I'd only heard that one song that uh, Scott Ian played on Sirius, and then I actually watched the Harp DVD like cold, and. I happened to have access to a really nice TV that weekend, doing a little house-sitting. So I brought that one over, and I'm so glad I did. I mean, watching that show at Wembley, yeah. it's just larger than life. It's so great. So, you seen that DVD? Yeah. Um, I have not seen that DVD. I've seen them twice in concert, but I've never never seen the DVD. Well, you're you're it, way ahead of me on that end, so we're we're kind of on we're kind of uh, you you got me over, but you know, I, I hear that from so many people that really like Muse. They haven't seen the DVD, but I highly recommend it. Okay, I will definitely check it out. Yeah, I saw them in 2006 on the Black Holes and Revelations tour. Nice. And then I saw them more recently, this year actually, earlier this year. Uh, I guess that would have been the second Law tour. So yeah. uh, great, great showman. And it was interesting when I saw them this year, they would kind of throw in some like little hints at covers, if you will, like a, like, you know, a minute of a song here, a minute of a song there. And one of the songs they were covering was freedom by rage against the machine. Oh, wow. Yeah. They, that would be interesting if they got into a covers record or even like a covers EP, because the only one I've really heard that I can think of off the top of my head is them doing that popcorn song from the seventies. Right. Right. So, (laughs) all right. Uh, moving on, uh, got your third album here on the list. Uh, I was wanted to really go with a Prince record, but uh, I, there's just there's only ten songs on this show, so I'm gonna put Prince aside actually and stick uh, to something more classic rock, if you will. Let's go with uh, Thin Lizzy, nice. Thunder and Lightning, Ooh. which was just such a great record by Thin Lizzy, and I'm I'm kind of a weird Thin Lizzy fan in that you know the '70s stuff, you know is obviously great and people love it and that's what people point to when they think of definitive thin lizzy yeah. but for me that that last thin lizzy record thunder and lightning was the album where they put on the bullet belts and the leather jackets and they were obviously quite tuned into what was going on at that time in music yeah. and that is there was you know, these guys in their early 20s making heavy metal music and making money at it and and guys that were influenced by Thin Lizzy were now kind of taking it a step further and putting a metal spin on it. Yeah. And I, I actually like it when there was a lot of bands, and Kiss is one of them, who were very aware of, of these younger bands that were coming out and were, you, you know influenced by the bands that they influenced and i think thin lizzy is the same same way because on thunder and lightning you really have an 80s hard rock heavy metal record in my opinion is thin lizzy's most metal record possibly their only metal record i'm not sure how you feel about it but uh you know the song thunder and lightning just it's just a uh straight out rocker and of course you had john sykes on on guitar who we all know went on to do such great stuff with uh white snake and blue murder and was definitely a metal guitar player in my opinion you know we can argue the definition of metal but it, it circa 1983 he was far more a metal guitar player than than some of the other guys who had who had played guitar in uh in Thin Lizzy before him. Yeah, that's a great observation. And, 
you know, I don't know if they were that, especially Phil, uh, maybe he did realize the nature of his influence. I, I, I it probably would be impossible to know even at that point on his end. But I have a feeling, you know, like for the same way that you hear a lot of punk rock guys say that Springsteen influenced them, I right. really thought that Phil was kind of metal Springsteen. So uh, they really looked to him for songwriting ability and storytelling. So yeah, well, I mean, there's that one that one song from the '70s. Uh, what's the uh, Dancing in the Moonlight, which I know is a cover, right? That's a thin. That's a cover that Thin Lizzy did. But that sounds like Springsteen to me. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. So I know that's Butler's favorite than Lizzie's song bar none so and he's yeah. a, he's a fan of that latter the Lizzie era too more so than most oh there's so many good songs on thunder and lightning you know the sun goes down cold sweat and why don't we play this is the one right good good choice all right here you go
we're on a roll right now, especially because of you, Mark. Thanks for picking that Thin Lizzy track. This is the one off of Thunder and Lightning. Uh, and not much else to say. I'll say it on the outro. And, uh, so what do you got for the fourth record, Mark? Well, you know, I, I just, again, this is a totally mainstream record in a lot of ways, and I could have went with deeper cuts or deep, deeper albums, you know. Deep, I don't know what I'm looking for. Just off the more off the beaten path albums by this guy. But for me personally, this was such an important record in the way just I experienced and listened to music in general. It's so by Peter Gabriel, and there was it was just one of those records where when I put it on, there were a lot of metal and hard rock records that that I had the same feeling with, but. I think it's important to in this in this format mention some of the non-metal stuff that just blew my mind and and Peter Gabriel so is one of those records where when I put it on just listen to it from start to finish it just blew my mind I I couldn't really believe it yeah that's a great record and this is of course one of the reasons why I'm having you on so you can get some of this stuff off your chest but uh yeah totally uh, my my experience was so uh, it's weird because I came up uh, I came up as more of an MTV kid. And so, so, so was a massive record, you know, as a video album, because I mean, heavy rotation, if there ever was one and deservedly so, because they're amazing groundbreaking videos and everything, everybody knows that. So I didn't really get with the album until like way in the nineties. And weirdly enough, especially since I have you on right now, uh, was because of Ozzy. Uh, Ozzy's a massive fan of Peter and especially the So record. He actually singled this out as in his top five albums of all time. So that's actually what got me to pick it up for the first oh, time. Oh wow! So, wow, so yeah. that's 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 amazing. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, the videos for the record were were just awesome. And I'm trying to think of the guys. Oh, the Quay Brothers. Yeah, uh, were they, were they part them. of Ten CC, Godly and Cream, like all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, possibly. I don't know. I did. I went and saw. They had an exhibit at the uh, at the museum here in New York City recently, and it was really impressive. And they're, I guess, these two brothers from Pennsylvania, nice. who uh, just did a lot of different weird art, including music videos. And what else? I can't remember what other music videos they did. But you know, as, one... as, as someone who, I mean, you've worked. You know, you've worked directly for video channels before, and I know it's not very hardcore, like, rock authority guy to say this, but I really do miss the video as an art form, you know, as a, as not just a marketing tool, but as, you know, a piece of expression. Totally. And so. Yeah, and uh, it's it's a shame that, that we don't have that anymore, but, you know, it, it, what happens with these stations is people just weren't weren't watching music videos it got to a point in the in the you know mid 90s where people the ratings were down and people weren't watching them yeah well on on my end with mtv especially living in a suburban area between dallas and fort worth and you know there's a lot of bible belt action still goes on to this day you know texas oklahoma i'm not going to get on a political rant here but a lot of the local you know Bible thumper people actually got MTV taken off of a lot of cable networks down here, and I was one of the victims of those. So wow. they could actually point to a lot of ratings drops as to those kind of activities happening. 
Mm, so wow. I actually blame. <laughs> they're part of of the blame, not all of the blame, but I put them as part of the blame. So there's a fun fact, and if, if you didn't know that, because I didn't know that. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, living in a more progressive area, and I'm not I'm not crapping on on the South and Texas as a whole because there's a lot of cool people down here, but there's a lot of shitty people too, obviously. So yeah, I, I didn't get my MTV uh, as a early teenager because of them. So oh man. Craziness, but uh, so I'm very curious as to what you have from the so. Well, I want Mark. Yeah, I want to go with this is the picture, excellent birds, because I had uh, always wondered as as a as a kid or a teenager when this album came out if this song had been a leftover from the Birdie soundtrack, which was the album he did before so, because it was like excellent birds and and. I can honestly say one of the things that got me into Gabriel, because I had I definitely had an interest in him before So Hit, was the the movie Birdie, uh, which is uh, Nicolas Cage is in that movie, and I, I they I was in this taking this class in high school like movie history or something, and we had this cool teacher, Doctor Gillis, and he actually showed us the Birdie movie, and just the music in that movie was so amazing, and and that's uh, again music that peter gabriel did he scored the movie long before the last temptation of christ so he did the the birdie movie and i always wondered if this song was somehow a leftover maybe from the birdie sessions although probably not Uh, who knows (laughs) you might be you might be right on there but i'm not cheating right now i have no wikipedia or internet up right now so uh but we'll let someone else at home do that but until then while you're doing that while you're listening to this song you go ahead and do that so here you go this is peter gabriel
might as well tie in a little bit. This is a little self-promotion, but I, I did have uh, an individual that played on a Peter Gabriel record or two. Dick Wagner was on the show at one point here. So oh, yeah. there's a little tie in there. So I hope you enjoyed that. Um, always nice to have an excuse to play Peter Gabriel on the show. He's one of those guys I definitely appreciate more as time goes on. So thanks, Mark, for bringing him back to Rock Strikes 10. Oh, totally, totally. You know, moving forward here, I wanted to include some hard rock slash metal, if you will. And I, I thought we should hit upon one of my, I wouldn't say they're one of my favorite bands of all time, but definitely one of my favorite records of of all time is Rage for Order by by Queensryche. And it, you know, I, I was a fan of the EP when it came out as like a, you know, 13 or 14 year old. Then the, the warning hit and I, there was a number of songs I liked on the warning. I, I think I got it the day it came out, but it was it was really rage for order that, that just again blew my mind when I, when I put it on because it, 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 at that time there really wasn't anything like this record. It had a different sound and a different, uh, just feel about it in, in general, the production was, was lush and it just really seemed to be coming from a place that I was unfamiliar with and very exciting, songs very exciting production and even the way the band look people make fun of it you know today uh their image yeah, for they that looked so different they i mean at one point they looked like they were from mars i mean they didn't yeah they didn't look like prostitutes like a lot of other bands they looked like they were space aliens <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean they had a little bit of almost like a prince influence to the look at, the, at the, uh, to their look at that point and it maybe it went a little too far but it definitely you know as a as a kid, the, the way they uh, presented themselves, you know, circa Rage for Order was kind of a, a curious thing to me. Yeah, I, I can only imagine what you have uh, singled out from this record. This is this really is a solid record, and what a great run they were on. You know, their first like five six releases, just just killing it. I mean, especially the first five. So. Yeah, yeah, and it's like. I mean, I, I liked Empire a lot, although I, I felt like it was a little played out radio and MTV-wise. That's really uh, what killed it for me a lot. Yeah, it's like if I never hear Jet City Woman, you know, like that was on MTV probably every hour. And not just yeah, and Silent, Silent Lucidity was just, it was so overplayed. Yeah, and not, it, yeah, Silent Lucidity definitely was, but man, like every, like half that album was a single, which is kind of a, a lost art into itself, you know, like the, the half singles you know, on the record like Hysteria or Appetite, you know, they get played on the radio constantly. But yeah, um, man. But yeah, I'm really glad you picked Rage for Order. What what are we going to enjoy off of that right now? Why don't we do New Regal? All right, here you go. Some Queens Rack for you.
All right, new regale from Rage for Order. Definitely something to check out. If uh, you know, we were talking about the classic run of Queensryche Records. They put out that Revolution Calling box set a few years ago. That's a really good one to pick up if you just right. want to dive right in because that's that's a great uh, collection to have. And you get all the bonus tracks from the reissues. Thankfully, they didn't tinker with them. They just turned them up. We always love yeah. bands just do that. I really dislike a lot of the reissues too because you know they when when they add these songs on uh, to them I feel like that's you know there was there was actually uh, the album I, I I think for a lot of these these bands and especially these great records like Rage for Order mm-hmm. it was a piece of art you know to its own and when you start adding on bonus tracks and b-sides and stuff i feel like you kind of uh to the new listener who maybe didn't experience it when it first came out you're changing the dynamic and not presenting it in its true form and that's why i always encourage people to you know go back and find the original vinyl in in the used record store and 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 maybe check it out that way or at least be aware of what songs were and were not on the record what records have been you know re-recorded i mean i've spoken numerous times recently about the early megadeth oh yeah uh stuff and i i can't i really can't can't understand why there isn't more of an outrage over what Mustaine has done to some of those early Megadeth records. I, I, I guess people just, I don't know. I, I think, guess people just don't care. I don't. I think a lot of it was the, you know, the fans that were fans of that record already had it. And a lot of them, you know, a lot of people don't bother to get reissues a lot of times, especially if they already had owned it. They're like, you know, I don't need to buy that again. The only reason they would need to buy it is if they had to replace it, you know. And I feel bad for those people because, yeah, those remixes are freaking terrible. The fact that he went into George Lucas to stuff, replayed parts. Every time you mention that on the show, I'm like right there with you on that. Cause, cool, because because nobody's like complaining about it. it uh, I mean, very few people are. And the thing is, it's like with these Megadeth things, did Killing Is My Is My Business and Business Is Good, did it sound like crap? Yes, it did. And and there's something great about that. Yeah. Not not everything has to be, you know, isolated and crystal clear and, yeah. and sometimes I mean it's like the punk rock thing. It's like yeah. the, the it's like sometimes the mess of it all and the fact that the notes aren't perfect and that you know the mix is bad and there's too much reverb on this and that it, it that's what makes it so great in, yeah. in the end and i mean it's like yeah, you're, you're, gonna, you're listen- gonna remix the germs like yeah that's gonna sound great when you do yeah that. i mean it's like what do you the, the beach boys pet sounds is is in mono and all the tracks were bleeding you know and yeah. and that's what one of the things that makes it so great what are you going to go back and and remix read mix that and yeah i mean i guess they've gone back and released some of it in stereo yeah but, they, uh, they, they have a split where you listen to both versions of the album one in mono and yeah. stereo but at least they give you the option that's the thing if you're gonna if you want to go have fun and tinker with it again put it on a separate disc like what they did with machine head by deep purple you know just give us the option of listening to your baby or the one that we love you know totally. don't don't shut out one version that that and that's that can definitely tie into star wars but um you know, just give us the option. Give us the baby that we grew up with, you know. That, that you know, yeah, that could be a whole show, obviously. Yeah, oh, <laughs> don't get me started on yeah. the fucking Star Wars shit, man. It's like, that guy, it's like, 
you put uh, what? Who's the who's the uh, guy who's doing the new movie? Um, oh, JJ Abrams. JJ Abrams. Yeah. yeah, he needs to go back and do his own JJ Abrams cuts of the original three. You know, episode four, five, and six, and get fucking Jabba the Hutt out of you know episode four. It's like it's like one of the things that made Jabba the Hutt so intriguing and so exciting is as a kid I'd waited years to finally meet the guy after hearing about him and now we have some wrong size Jabba like walking around in episode four. It's like these artists whether they're filmmakers or musicians it's like they have to just abandon their art and leave it and yeah. and you're never I mean it's like one of those famous old school artist Van Gogh or something said, you never finish art. It's just, you Abandoned. know, you just leave it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah, just like, it's it, like, you know, look no further than that South Park episode. Directors need to be saved. Yeah. Know, be taken away from their projects once they're done, you know? And it's always the wackadoodle guys too. Yeah. Like yeah. Mustaine. It's like, I, I don't know. It's like, I, I feel like he was more sane when he was on drugs. You know, I, yeah, I, that, I don't know what was going on there. That metal injection episode, you, that crossover episode you just did was great. Cause I loved when you guys started riffing on Mustaine, you know, <laughs> cause yeah, it's like when he was like kind of in between that I'm sober, but I'm really actually cheating on drugs. Yeah. It, like he was probably at his most sane. I like he was balancing himself a lot better, but yeah, anyway. The Ted Nugent of heavy metal, or the Dennis Miller of heavy metal, if you will. Right, so. right, but worse, in my opinion, <laughs> yeah. than either one of those guys. Yeah, but totally. uh, <laughs> anyway, I mean, but um, getting back yeah. to your list, Mark, I know you're pressed for time. I'd love to talk yeah, all yeah. day with you. How about course. the Beach Boys? I mentioned the Beach Boys. Oh, Let's wow. do something off of Pet Sounds. Yeah. Have you seen the? Did you see the Brian Wilson Jeff Beck tours that roll through your town yet? Uh, it's coming through, and it's actually they're playing right by my house. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it oh, though, man. but they are uh coming through and uh, we'll see i hope to uh maybe I, check that out i gotta say with no spoilers go see it i just got back from houston the other week and saw the show and i was just i was blown away i thought it was amazing I'm, and i even saw the smile tour which i was blown away by that but this is an entirely different thing okay yeah i've seen brian wilson there's this like little theater by my house in montclair new jersey and he's played there probably two times in the last four years and i've been to both shows uh, smile and then he came back around like maybe a year and a half ago and both really great shows so um if you haven't seen brian wilson definitely yeah everybody should check him out yeah and you got two icons in one night of course i mean the great jeff beck who oh, yeah. adds a crazy interesting element to the show and the way the show is paced is weird i don't want to give it away but i definitely recommend it because they're probably pretty much going to be playing the same set every night but and they end up, They do bring the bands together at a point. I will say that, but uh, it's it's a must see for sure. Cool. Well, let's go with the song. I know there's an answer, but if we can go with the original vocal version of it, which is called "Hang On to Your Ego." Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Which got unearthed through the Pet Sounds Sessions box set, and then uh, all the reissues therefore after of Pet Sounds. Because yeah, Pet- apparently they they turned in hang i mean this is this is story who knows if it's true but they hanged they turned in uh hang on to your ego to the record company and they felt it was too negative and i guess the lyrics were adjusted and then it was released as i know there's an answer but i've always been a fan of the original lyric version um which yeah was on one of those reissues yeah and it's called uh, hang on to your ego all right here you go check this one out of course we both recommend it 
Have you heard the uh, Frank Black version of that song, Mark? I, I have, yeah. I haven't heard it in a while, but yeah. I have heard it, yeah. The first time I saw that was like on 120 Minutes, I think, or something like that. I had no idea that it was a Beach Boys song at the time, because I was that young. So. Wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those things, like, my dad was into the Beach Boys, so it took a long time for that to become my idea. And about 2000, it's really, I mean, of course, like everybody in the world, I've been aware of all the, the hits throughout my youth and everything, but it's, I, I, I say this all the time, it's one of the most rewarding musical experiences ever is to get into and dig deep on the Beach Boys. It's, oh, totally. That totally. 67 through 72 output especially is just just some still the most underrated music I think put out, and I hmm. still say because, especially because of Mike Love, they're the most misunderstood band of all time. Yeah, and a band that just seemed to really struggle with their their identity in in, in a lot of different ways, and I, I've seen that with the Bee Gees too. It's with another great band that oh, I just yeah. love to death. Um, that 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 they almost feel, 
you know, afraid to embrace who they really were, really are. I mean, Barry Gibb to this day, when he does interviews, he's always like saying, well, he wants to remind everybody that they were managed by the same manager as Clapton and they were into rock and roll. And, yeah. you know, they got pegged as this disco band. Yeah. And quite frankly, I think they were a disco band and they did it. They did it. One did the music they did was wonderful as a disco band. Yeah. But, you know, uh, they they are there was such a stigma in the, in the late seventies with, with the people hating disco. I mean, I even had this poster on my wall that, uh, had a, uh, a guy, you know, it's a, you know, screw disco Dan. And it had a guy like, you know, in the Travolta stand, uh, what is that? Uh, staying alive Saturday night fever, uh, pose. Yeah. And it had a screw through him, you <laughs> know? Uh, and, and there was such a hatred that went along with the whole disco thing, which in retrospect, I don't know what that was. You I, it's know. very uh, much, it seems to me, and for someone that didn't grow up in that era, and I don't mean to date you or anything, but I'm no, actually right. really jealous because you had the best era of music growing up. But it, it did definitely seem in retrospect like it's kind of a jocks versus nerds thing. Like, not. Yeah. The, like, and in, I don't know if sense. there was like racism or like, you know, like if there was like. You know, disco was like the, the kind of like the the London, New York City hip thing with like the, you know, but like the more of the, you know, the working man people in the in the suburbs and in the Midwest cities and stuff were, were kind of not down with that. And, you know, I don't know. It's it kind of interesting. Yeah. It's kind of interesting in a uh, uh, a social uh, study, if you will. Yeah, and that's a testament to how great, like you said, the music of the Bee Gees is, especially because you you grew up in that. I know a lot of guys that did, and now they love the Bee Gees. But back then, it's like I, they couldn't be they couldn't be asked. Like even yeah, well, even Alice, they secretly loved it. Alice secretly loves the Saturday Night. Yeah, Peter Alice soundtrack. Alice Cooper would say that over and over again that he, that he loved the the Bee Gees, but he just couldn't ever admit it in public back in those days. Yeah, did you? Uh, sorry, quick tangent. Did you see that uh, finally uh, Kiss and Alice are going to do a couple of gigs together, like in December? Like I did, I did not see that. No, they're no, doing. Cool. They're well. It's they're both charity gigs, so they're not like concerts really, but they are. It's like one of those exclusive things where they're going to price people out of it. But there's one gig in Vegas where this band is going to play, and they're going to have a bunch of singers go up on stage. But every current member of Kiss plus Alice are going to be there, and they're all going to sing at some point. But then Kiss is also doing Alice's annual Christmas pudding charity gig. Which, yeah, it's interesting. Which means there definitely will be some jamming at some point between the two, which has never happened ever. So. Ace has played with, done some jamming with Alice. Really? Yeah, if you. Google it. I believe there's even some video of it. Ace, Ace, I'm I'm 99 sure Ace is jammed with Alice and may have even done like a, a Kiss song with him or something. But um, wow, yeah. And I know you know Alice had sued Kiss probably like 10, 10, 12, maybe even fifteen years ago. Yeah, for the Dreamin' song. song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I remember someone asked him about that a few years ago. It might have been like a Metal Sludge or something. And he goes, "Yeah, we both forgot to show up for court." So right. I think it was a case of Psycho Circus not really selling in the millions like Alice anticipated. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's probably why they didn't even care at the end of the day. So, Which is nice of him to not embarrass Kiss to that extent. Right. Because <laughs> so. they probably, if, if I remember correctly, they probably should, Alice probably should have sued him because the song sounded very similar oh, to... Uh, yeah, to a ridiculous point, you know. Yeah. So, 
Anyway, all right. Well, we'll uh, moving on. That was good talk there. Excellent. Uh, How about Animals by Pink Floyd? Oh, nice. Yeah, and I, I just brought this album up last week to somebody uh, because, and this could be another tangent I can get off on, but stop me. But uh, talking about the old WKRP show. I cannot oh, think good. of that Animals track without thinking of WKRP in Cincinnati. <laughs> Why? What, I, what's the tie-in? I feel like I should know it. There's uh, Well, it's also a commentary on the fact that you know the DVDs that they've put out are pointless because they had to edit pretty much all the music off of it, and it's been edited off in syndication now, too. Uh, right, which they did with The Sopranos, too, when they had a, uh, a Floyd song playing. I, I can't remember what episode it is. It might be the one where Christopher dies, but um, when they released the DVD uh, version of it, they had to put on like a Roger Waters version of the song, like a live Roger Roger Waters version, because they couldn't get the rights to the the actual Pink Floyd version of the song. Yeah, the one from the Departed soundtrack. Yeah, I don't know. If- but what happened? So they they had. Pink Floyd music in the WKRP episode? Yeah, there's this great episode where, you know, Johnny Fever, of course, being himself, he's just sleeping basically on the job or, or kind of, you know, taking a nap or whatever. And then Arthur, the boss, comes in and he thinks that Johnny's sleeping, but he actually really isn't. And that's the joke. But Animals is playing. So there's, you know, all this animal noise going on. The dogs are barking and everything. And he's just looking around the studio, like looking for the dog because he doesn't realize it's on the record. And even waves his hand in front of Johnny's face, which he doesn't realize that Johnny is still awake. And then he goes to like touch the needle. He's like, don't touch that and startles him. And he goes, are there dogs barking on that track? Yeah. He goes, well, I can hear them, (laughs) you know? So yeah, just, it's way funnier with them doing it, of course, but it's, it's just, I love that show. That was uh, Lonnie Anderson and, yeah. uh, what was the oh, Venus flytrap? Yeah, Venus flytrap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They even they, I love that they even did some of the the television generics on there. They had the ginger and the Marianne and you know. Oh yeah, totally. And uh, but yeah, radio guys like you know we all love that show you know or, or even sub sub level radio guys like myself. But uh, um, yeah, just the, cutting that scene, cutting the song off like of any kind of syndication or DVD release like really kills the scene. Anyway. Sorry to get off on that. Um, you were talking about a record that you picked. <laughs> yeah, Animals by Pink Floyd. Why don't we hear Pigs, three different ones? All right. And weirdly enough, I, I don't think I've had any theme tie into Pink Floyd like like well. So believe it or not, this is the Rock Strikes 10 debut of Pink Floyd. So Mark, you, awesome. you made it happen, Mark. So here you go. This is Pigs by Pink Floyd. <laughs> Thank you. 
That was Pigs from the Animals record by Pink Floyd. I also remember, I don't know if you've heard this or not, Mark, but there was a kind of an independent release by Les Claypool, the Flying Frog Brigade band, and they covered the Animals album top to bottom. Have you heard that? I have not, no. Yeah. I don't know. Are you a big Les fan at all? I never hear you mention him on the shows. Uh, So-so. I mean, I, I like Prime. I like I have like that one Primus record with Winona's Big Brown Beaver, whatever the hell it was. And I did see them in concert, although I was more specifically there to see Mike Watt, who is opening. Nice. Uh, Good. Good But uh, I I, I like Primus. My brother's like a totally hardcore Primus fan. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm so-so on them. I I, kind of like them, you know? Yeah. Well, you should at least check out that record. Obviously, you'll have an end with it, so... There you go. All right, Mark, you got three more to go. Time yeah. is flying. So. Cool. Another record which just really, in a lot of ways, just blew me away and, you know, in some some ways changed my life and the way I, I listen to music. This is uh, this is Apple by Mother Love Bone, just loaded with, with good songs. They had an EP out before it called Shine, and yeah. then they had this record, Apple, and I was working at Sam Goody at the time and they sent us a promotional single for for this song that we're about to hear off of uh you know the first single off of apple the only single i believe and it was uh, star dog champion nice and it was just amazing because there was all this drama around this band you know because right as the record came out i I don't remember if it was the day of or a week before or a week after but but the singer andrew wood died and there was all this uh you know kind of what could have been feeling about about mother love bone and really the band spawned pearl jam and temple of the dog and all these other great bands and if you haven't seen the which i'm sure you probably have being that you're so into music but the cameron crow pearl jam documentary i actually still haven't seen that yet like i i've I've even heard from non-fans how good that is so don't worry i definitely will be checking it out but mother love bone is definitely a band that i i really really love a lot and they, they play a big part in this documentary, and it's very cool to even see Eddie Vedder acknowledge Andrew Wood as 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 somebody that he respects and, and almost tie him into the uh, the whole success of of Pearl Jam. It's it's touching and it's a big, big loss because. You know, Andrew Wood was one of these guys. He kind of had the David Lee Roth thing going on, but he yeah. was also had kind of, you know, a foothold, you know, in what was going to become known as grunge, too, yeah. and, and kind of helped spawn that whole thing.
just talking about them a few episodes ago on the one and done episode and i'm glad you're picking star dog champion because i played this as shangri-la on that episode Uh, Uh, another great song yeah and i i was just mentioning like if you go back and listen to some of the other music that was coming out post mother love bone like within a year or two and i liked that there was a band you know of course very similar to mother love bone in the style that they were playing like very just straight up hard rock music but with like a different you know, type of singer that we hadn't really heard before. And Jane's Addiction was another band like that. Oh, totally. And I'm, 
Sorry. I mean, Jane's Addiction, Mother Love Bone, even you know, Faith No More. Oh, yeah, yeah. That that first Alice in Chains uh, album for me, like Living Color, and even like Truth and Soul by Fishbone. Oh, those God. were all albums that really changed me. You know, I was like this, you know, heavy metal, hard rock, posery kid with a with a mullet, and then I started getting into that music and like transformed. Like within a year, I had you know gotten rid of all the freaking acid wash jeans and the mullet and was like you know in a way i i kind of jumped the the bandwagon right over to grunge but it's it's uh you know it was it was just that that music you know pre uh you know never mind yeah those those albums that i mentioned you know really laid the laid the groundwork for for the never mind record in my opinion and, and just set and I mean, you could even include Appetite for Destruction in there because it was it was definitely a step in a different direction yeah. um, than what was going on. Yeah. And, a you lot. know, I was I was so done with like like what we now call hair metal or glam metal at that point. And I was embarrassed, you know, fire fire firehouse. Uh, yeah. And I was like, this is fucking embarrassing. Like I was I hated it. And I was just like, you know, this stuff sucks, you know, and, and I, you the know, last, there was the last a, straw was Nelson for me, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there was a lot of, a, you know, we always point to like, oh, the, you know, these Nirvana killed heavy metal and these no. bands killed heavy metal. But it was like, you know, in a lot of ways, they saved metal for me, at least they saved hard rock and they saved a, a passion for for uh, good music, you know, and, and 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 I just think there's so much great stuff that came out around that time, and and Mother Love Bone Apple is definitely a record everybody should have. Yeah, it's like uh, what, it's like what D. Snyder said, you know, who do you think these grunge bands were listening to? You think they were listening to Duran Duran? No, they had listened to Sabbath and yeah. stuff like that. But um, you know, go listen to like. If you look at those, what those bands on the Sunset Strip are doing post Mother Love Bone, I mentioned uh, Faster Pussycat is one. If you listen to the Whipped album, it, you know there's even obviously a tribute song to Andrew Wood, which made me think of that album. But ah. that album is so Mother Love Bone. It's like they should have paid them royalties. Like, oh wow. So if you go back and listen to that, especially I after to, their yeah. second record, because I really, I actually really like Faster Pussycat. Um, but yeah, me too. Yeah. The difference between the second and third album is strictly Mother Love Bone. <laughs> so like, really? wow. and obviously Motley had a lot of influence in it too when they did their album with Karabi. Yeah. Um, well, Motley is a band that even going back, and I know we got to wrap up soon, yeah, but sorry. I I got a, I got another I got a, like a ten minute buffer here. So. Okay. Uh, but Motley is a band that, and I I think the Beatles were the were the fucking same way, man. They were a band that we now look at. As, oh, okay, they were the first to do this. You know, uh, they, you know, on Theater of Pain, Motley was the first to really push the the makeup and the hairspray. But in a way, they were so tapped in and tuned into what was going on on the street mm -hmm. that they, they you know, kind of incorporated that into into their look, you know, with Motley. And I, I think the Beatles was, this, you know, they were the same way. They, you know, they went from, you know, being basically a pop band but yet they were so tuned into the underground that they kind of s took that stuff. Some people say they stole that that sound and yeah. and you know made it corporate and and made money off of it. It's you know and because they had and, access to every record, every demo tape that was coming through the pike, every every local band handing them a tape. You know, I mean they it, yeah totally. It's just like man the 
yeah, having that access is is a real convenience. Uh, all right, Mark, uh, we got two more to go, so let's make it happen. Two more, yeah. So I'll throw a weird one at you for for the uh, the finale here, but before we get to that, uh, band I'm going to see tonight, Nine Inch Nails. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it looks like I just peeked at the set list. They're actually doing uh, a number of songs off of this record, which is. I think one of my favorite Nine Inch Nails. I mean, it's tough. Downward Spiral is obviously awesome, oh, yeah. but the Fragile is just so rich and incredibly amazing. And one of the best shows I ever saw was uh, the Fragile at Madison Square Garden. Nice. It was the show where, you know, there's a song on on the Fragile called Starfuckers, which was written about Marilyn Manson. And at this show was the makeup reunion of Trent and Marilyn that I saw. And uh, Marilyn came out and sang alongside of Trent this song, which is a negative song about him called yeah. Starfuckers. Yeah. So it's I, amazing. I was in on, like, I was into Nails and Manson, and I still love those bands a lot. And I, I've i seen that moment because it's actually an Easter egg on the Nine Inch Nails DVD from that tour. Oh, cool. Like, if you haven't seen it, it's definitely accessible. Uh, but yeah, great moment. And man, I'm so glad you picked the fragile. I mean, I'd, I'd shake your hand for that. That's my favorite nails album too. So you can do no wrong with that album with me. So, yeah. And you know, I couldn't decide what song to play off it. I mean, I, I really like the wretched is one of my favorites, but I think let's go with the title track for today. All right. Sounds good. Here you go, guys. Yeah. 
Again, the title track off of Fragile by Nine Inch Nails. Great record. You know, especially, uh, you know, it's it's an obvious one off the album, but the first single on it, We're In This Together. Uh, that song oh, never yeah. fails to get me inspired. It's just great. <laughs> so that yeah. whole album. And it's a journey. It's it's a real, uh, well-thought-out, realized album. So. Uh, yeah, and it's weird. You know, like an album like that, there would be days, you know, back, in my single days when I lived, just lived in an apartment pre, you know, I guess the internet was kind of around at that point, Yeah. but it was just like, I, I used to sit down and I would listening to music was such an experience, you know, we're putting on the headphones and just letting the music consume my soul, if you will, which I, I feel like I don't do that as much anymore, yeah. you know, cause I'm always on the go, the headphones in the car, you know, and, and, and there's other things going on while i'm listening to music yeah uh however i i don't think i'm the only one i feel like like there's very i think younger kids today don't really listen to music like like i used to or like we used to when we were kids yeah. and i think that's that's kind of sad i guess in a way yeah and a lot of dist- and distractions and just adult things can really get into an enjoyment of an album nowadays but i still have a militant rule for myself when i first listen to an album i will not listen to it, it doesn't matter if it takes me months to but even after i buy it i will not listen to anything off of it i won't hear it on shuffle i have to hear it from top to bottom at least with headphones on and possibly if i can have the book out cool well, that's, I, I need to do more of that. I'm that guy. But then again, Mark, you, you've got enough going on. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I live with my girlfriend. 
you're married, you've got two kids, you got you got dogs, you know, you got you got job stuff. I mean, good God, man, I don't know how you manage to listen to anything anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you just have to make time for it. I mean, we're all we're all busy, and you know, it's uh, it's it's something that is, I think. Uh, healthy for us music lovers and and just gives us peace of mind is just to uh you know let that music take you over and uh do what you do you know put put everything aside and just zone out with the headphones yeah that's no different than meditation so yeah what uh what do you got for us to close out here Mark? well i don't know this might be controversial but you know there's this guy kanye west and i thought that he was just terrible and everything he did he was was just awful and he would get up on stage and you know take uh, take the award away from some you know cute little country singer uh, yeah. and just was a real jerk and i think he probably still is yeah. um i love watching the tmz clips of him yelling at Pavarazzi and stuff but i gotta tell you this record that he put out my beautiful dark twisted fantasy I read about it on Pitchfork, and they had said it was the best record of the year, whatever year that was, 2011, maybe? Yeah, that sounds or right. 2010, I'm not sure. And I I got it based on the Pitchfork tip. I went and I, I downloaded it, uh, and it blew my mind. I, I, I mean, I, I, I think this guy is like... like this record, at least, because uh, and I like I like the Watch the Throne record. I think that's an another amazing record. Those two records, the newest one, I, I'm kind of so so on, but those two records to me are two of the best records of the the last decade, wow, for sure. And 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 I know a lot of rocker guys and and people just don't like Kanye West. They think he's uh, an ass, and he very well might be. Yeah. But it's hard to get past some of that. But you, I hope maybe this is the track you have picked. But you did play something off of this on the Mark Striegel show a few years ago, and that is the one that could sell, I think, anybody. You know, well, we could do that. I was actually going to do a different one called All of the Lights, which is is, to me sounds like freaking. I mean, if you can, there's an intro that goes along with it. Play that into sure. the song because it sounds like 1970s, like, you know, rock, like almost like Rocky. Parts of it remind me of the theme song to Rocky. Yeah. It's so yeah, whatever powerful. You want. Whatever you want. And I will play it for you. Yeah. Maya's on this who has put out some great stuff. Yeah. Um, I can't remember who else is on it. Um, oh, Rihanna, obviously, and just a just a real powerful record. My beautiful dark twisted fantasy has some great great stuff on it. All right. And I'm not the only one. There are other rockers who have pointed to it as being a good record. Watch the Throne. Jack White has has said that that's a great record, yeah. and I gotta agree with him. And you know, K- Kanye West. I have a, a lot of respect for him as a uh, artist. Um, you know, and uh, when I mention that to people, they're always like, "Oh yeah, well he just hires the best people around him to do stuff for him." Oh, he's and a producer. A, he's a producer. Yeah, and and there's there's a part of that that's true, but it's like you know, and I defend Ozzy the same way. People are like, "Oh, Ozzy's just an idiot," but he just uh, has everybody around him is so great. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I mean, people say the same thing about Elvis, but at the end of the day there it, it he's the guy Kanye's yeah. the guy Elvis is the guy Ozzy's the guy yeah. and and they're the ones that are calling calling the shots believe me at the end of the day they are and and it's hard to argue none of those three like... guys are 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 you know 
are Tiffany. You know, Tiffany, okay, in the 19, late 1980s or whatever, or Debbie Gibson, maybe they were just, you know, or Millie Vanilli or whatever, there were just go. created by record yeah. companies and put out there. Uh, you know, Kanye West, Elvis Presley, Ozzy Osbourne are, are not are, are not that. Those are three guys, and all three of them, hard to argue to get anybody past them of how to hold a crowd in the palm of your hand, and that's something that you can't create in, a, in, yeah. a, in an office, you know. Oh, and I mean, Elvis, too. I just hear so many people always, you know, people love him, and he's the biggest thing ever, but everybody always kind of you know, has this image of him of this, you know, goofy hillbilly yeah. dumb fuck, you know, but I, I was listening to Peter Noon on the uh, Penn Jillette podcast talking about Elvis and about how just Elvis was the guy that made Elvis great, you yeah. know, and Elvis, Elvis didn't have one of these producers like, you know, like uh, Steve Lillywhite or Brian Eno with U2 or, you know, uh, George Martin with the Beatles or yeah. Eddie Kramer. And, you know, Elvis didn't have one of these these great producers like that. Elvis, you know, was the guy in the studio who really called a lot of the shots, according to Peter Noon. OK. And with that, we're going to check out uh, the song here by Kanye West. Uh, from Mark Striegel. Mark, what was the name all of the song the, again we're going to play? We'll do the intro to All of the Lights, and then we'll do the song All of the Lights. All right. Well, here you go. Definitely a Rock Strikes 10 debut. This is Kanye West. Replacing me, I had to take them to the 
visitation We met at borders, told her she'd take me back I'll be more supportive, I made mistakes I bought my head, the court sucked me dry I spent that bread, she need a daddy Baby, please, can't let her grow up in that ghetto university controversy mark yeah when you played power on the show i was actually i was actually very impressed and i'm i was definitely one of those guys that was like ah fuck that guy but man who who's thinking you know the the crimson sample alone like just just nails it it's just ridiculous you know and it's and i understand people it's hard to get past it but uh you know, maybe as time goes on, they'll you know they'll they'll discover it. Maybe it's like what well, we were talking about the disco thing earlier. You know? Yeah, who knows, man? I, I don't know. I didn't really like the most recent one all that much, but I need to give it a what is it? Yeezus? I need to give it another chance. Yeah, he's he's a little busy, I think, to put out uh, something that's worthwhile at this point. But well, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, with that, 
uh, Mark, I want to thank you so much for coming here on Rock Strikes 10 on, on the show. It's it's like I said, it's an honor. You're one of my podcasting influences and broadcasting influences. And uh, you know, uh, anytime you want to come on the show, you have an open invite. Maybe if you want to do some sort of theme, you, you've got it, man. So yeah, cool. We should uh, definitely definitely do it again sometime soon. And yeah, maybe sometime we could just talk offline too. I'd like to talk to you just about podcasting in general and uh or maybe even do an episode about podcasting absolutely i'm you know whatever just let me know man of course (laughs) okay cool cool all right joey all right thanks a lot and have a great day mark yeah you too man later bye so there you have it there was my sit down my conversation with my new friend my new buddy mark striegel thank you so much mark for coming on the show and knowing that he's hearing me say that is once again it means a lot I will go ahead and do this. Uh, please go check out TalkingMetalDigital.com, also via TalkingMetal.com, and there you will find the links to all of Mark's shows, Talking Metal, Talking Rock, and also uh, Mars Attacks, which is a Victor Ruiz's show. And recently Victor has been co-hosting some of the Mars Attacks episodes, the live stream, so tune in for those as well. Uh, all the great links are on there, so go check it out. Support his sponsors also. He's got a Hulu Plus banner to go check out, some Amazon links. So support the guy because, you know, he, he deserves it. Hell, he came on my show, so please give him the money. And uh, buy a T-shirt over at Talking Metal also. I'm going to be doing the same thing as well, actually. I uh, wish I had a little bit better of an income. I would uh, already have that shirt. Anyway, all that being said, I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today. Please go to cnjradio.com, where, of course, Rock Strikes 10, all the links for that. And the flagship, the Wrestling House Show, the recently relaunched Wrestling House Show with the WrestleMania House Show specials. If you are a fan of pro wrestling, you definitely need to be on that. Catch up, because we're putting them out fast. And, of course, the Synaptic, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative Go listen to that show as well. You should be listening to The Synaptic. Plenty of stuff to listen to on cnjradio.com. And thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I have a few playlists ready to go. We've got enough for a new Odds and Ends episode. There's another 10 to go on a new death list. So that'll be happening at some point here. I'll try to squeeze in one of those between the Halloween episodes that I'll be doing with my CNJ Radio partner, Chris. That's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of things doing on here, so stay tuned, and we'll see you on the next one. Have fun.